This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? 9.36am. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Anwar Mahbob. This is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed. So this is our last episode of 2023 and uh, we're going to call this the Winners and Losers edition. And I think what we're going to do today is we're going to highlight people, businesses or policy issues that have come out better or worse this year in no particular order. This is really things that have just crossed our mind or things that we remember because so much has happened this year. Random thoughts, literally. It's impossible to cover everything. But I think uh, this is kind of what stood out for us as we discussed what we wanted to talk about on the show today. So in true morning run fashion, let's start off with finance and banking, given the turmoil this sector has witnessed in the first half of the year. So much so that the Financial Times described 2023 as the worst year for banking since 2008. Yeah, one of the repercussions is that is that we've seen massive job cuts in the industry. More than 60,000 jobs were actually lost. Uh, a lot of it due to the shortfall in revenue because deal-making really came to a grinding halt. So a lot of the investment banks didn't manage to generate the performance that they did actually during the COVID period. And I think also some banks probably didn't do so well in terms of their trading desk to make up for the shortfall. So there's a lot in terms of the deliverables that are expected by the different CEOs. So we do know like Goldman Sachs um, CEO, David Solomon, DJ Dave, is giving up, he's uh, putting up his hat. He's no longer allowed to go around the world and do these DJ gigs because shareholders weren't happy. They were like, hey, we pay you so much money. What are you doing? Are you making money for the bank or are you spinning records around the world? At the same time, Citigroup CEO Jane Fraser is massive reorganization. Look at what she's done in Southeast Asia. Citibank, consumer banking, doesn't really exist even here in Malaysia. It's been sold to UOB. Mm. They've done so in other jurisdictions. So the pressure is on these investment banks, especially since they earn big bucks to actually improve on their return on equity. Now, this year was also supposed to be when things turned around, fueled by a series of public offerings, that it would initially break open an IPO logjam. We had several companies went public in the third quarter, including Arm Holdings. Arm Holdings is interesting because they design chips. They don't manufacture, but design chips, including generative AI, class design, licensing, etc. And they supply this technology to companies like Apple and NVIDIA. And we have Instacart, which supplies, uh, which supplies grocery. It's an online grocery ordering company, Clavio. And some fell in price after their market debuts. And like Shani has said, the industry has shed 60,000 jobs as a result. All right. So that's kind of a broad-based picture of how the banking industry fared, right? What was happening across the sector. But let's zoom in onto a couple of really key events that took everyone by surprise, that caused a lot of chaos. And I think we can't. We have to start with what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, right? This is the, ding, second, ding, ding. the second largest bank failure in the U.S. Uh, that seemed to come almost out of nowhere because it was functioning one day and what, 24, 48 hours later, it, it had completely collapsed. Okay, so some background, because honestly, before it collapsed, I never heard of it. Did any of y'all know, know it existed? It wasn't a household name outside of the United States. It's, it was actually a relatively new newbie bank, because it was only founded in 1983. 16 largest, and their customer base was really the tech companies in the Silicon Valley 
hence its name. Now, they specialise in financing and banking for venture capital-backed start-up companies, which were swollen with cash during the COVID pandemic. But the bank, unfortunately, not so good with its asset liability matching. And at the end of the day, the failure was caused by a good old-fashioned bank run, which was compounded by the use of technology. Yeah, because it's not like the old days where you have to queue up outside the bank. Now, these days, you can just, with a click, withdraw your money from the bank. And this exacerbated its collapse. And also, uh, because because during this time, when interest rates were low, there were a lot of flush companies, were there were a lot of PEs putting money into these startups, etc. But when interest rates went up, these startups never put money, uh, sorry, the PE companies never put money into these startups. And so that means these startups had to use their own money and pull the money from SVB as well. So this suffocated the oxygen. I am always, uh, it, to me, what's, what's interesting about the story is how, um, I guess, big tech investors like Peter mm. Thiel were really involved in, I think, sort of triggering that bank run through WhatsApp groups, through, yeah. I don't know, social media, through posts, you know, and that sort of sparked a panic which resulted in everyone rushing to withdraw their money from SVB. So this has brought a bigger question about how banks should be regulated in today's age of technology, right? Uh, because, like you say, you know, you can take money out with a touch of a button, you can do online transactions. So the old way of regulating banks needs to be changed. And I think also there was there was a lot of attention to on the Federal Reserve saying that, look, they, they really focused on the likes of your Goldman Sachs, on JP Morgan, Bank of America, because they, you know, they were so it another great financial crisis like what we saw in 2008 would be repeated. But they didn't have that same level of scrutiny mm. on much smaller banks. And I think this, of course, is probably why the Fed needs to make some tweaks. And most probably because it's the risk management controls. And SVB didn't invest in more long-duration bonds. And suddenly the interest rates went up and they were suffocating. You know? Which is back to Mismatch. the fact that the Feds never scrutinised them, no. unlike the bigger banks where there was scrutiny on this asset liability matching. I guess the response of the Fed is also worth noting in this particular case, right? Because ultimately they, they stepped in to backstop mm. um, and to make whole whatever uh, deposits were in SVB. And also the other bank that collapsed uh, shortly after, which was Signature Bank. And that one was focused on cryptocurrencies. Same kind of trend, same kind of pattern problem. Uh, but the fact that they came in to sort of reassure uh, depositors that, uh, you, you know, don't, you don't have to take your money out. We're going to make sure that it's still there. Uh, that was a curious or not curious, but I guess it was a noteworthy way to uh, jump in and arrest uh, things from tumbling further. Yeah. Should we talk about one more loser? Oh, yes. Please. Which we have to say au revoir. Au, how do I say goodbye in French? Au revoir. Au revoir. Credit Suisse. Bye-bye. Because it no longer exists. It's been taken over by uh, UBS. So now UBS is the largest Swiss bank out there. It's got like a 150-year legacy unlike Silicon Valley Bank. It's very well known even in Asia for its private uh, wealth business, private client business, investment banking. And it's, I mean, for them, it was a litany of bad decisions, one after another, and a string of scandals. It was like a long time coming for them, right? Because they had been hit uh, back in 2021 when we saw the collapse of the investment fund Archegos and also Green Cell Capital. So, the, and I think they had been implicated in a lot of other weird ass, weird scandals as well involving, I don't know, lots of Bulgarian drug dealers or something of that sort. Uh, but Bad AML and KYC, probably. But in the end, UBS bailed them out. I think the Swiss government 
was very keen on that to shore up the banking sector. So we say goodbye to that. And I, and I actually have some colleagues. I mean, at least I know some people who who used to work for Credit Suisse. And then uh, I asked them, did you take any of the memorabilia when you left? You know, like a Credit Suisse sticker, a Credit Suisse mark, because apparently. Uh, Stuff from Lehman Brothers. I don't know whether y'all are even old enough to remember that. Sells very well on eBay now. All right. Well, you say goodbye. Um, So, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the things that happened with the banking sector. Maybe one more uh, before we head into a break. Just an honourable mention for uh, really the Fed. I don't know if we can consider them a winner or loser because in a way they were definitely losers in 2022 with the whole transitory inflation thing. But for 2023, when you think about it, even though the pace of tightening really ratcheted up, the fact is they have managed to steer the U.S. economy into a not recession. There's, there is no recession as yet. And I guess, uh, f- in a way, that's a win for them, right? Uh, kind of, although I would not want Jerome Powell's job, even if it paid extremely well. I don't think you can ever get it right. And you always be blamed for everything. After all, just remember the, the word transitory. We kept using that in 2022. And then when inflation didn't come around, everyone said, ha! See, it's your fault. It's your fault. So you can't, you just really, really can't win. But I think we should talk about the property sector, shall we? That is right. Yes, because, I mean, we're sticking to all these business stories. I think the big loser when it comes to property this year is China. Their problems never seem to go away. And we're talking about significant contributor to GDP. There doesn't seem to be any resolution in sight. It's really pulling down the whole overall Chinese economy. So that's another big loser. There's a very high default rate amongst the China's middle class. And some of them are just not paying their mortgages, you know, which just affect the whole financial system. But we've seen companies affected include China Evergrande and Country Garden. And Country Garden is familiar name Malaysia as well. We have the exposure in Johor, we shall see. I think, uh, curiously enough, when you relate Country Garden and then we go to Johor, I think uh, juxtaposing against the China property crisis, what property market that seems to be on an ascendancy is actually the Joho property market, ironically. Um, and I think there's uh, been a lot of interest in what's happening there, given a lot of business potential and a lot of uh, policy uh, announcements that have been made over the past year. Yeah, so you can really see that reflected in the share price performance of, let's say, UEM Sunrise, right? Um, its total year-to-date return is 225%. WCE Holdings, 223%. You know, these stocks languished for many, many years because there was just so much supply and there wasn't enough demand. And to be fair, if you go to Forest City in Johor, I think BBC did a show on that. It was like a ghost town, right? Uh, It's like buildings after buildings, the lights are completely off. There are hardly any residents. But the theme has come back. It's resurrected itself because you're going to see likely the high-speed rail. There's going to be a special economic zone in the Forest Mm. City. So... There is a bit of a buzz in it, but I wonder whether it all peter out. Right. Will it actually materialise or is it just, you know, will it just remain buzz? And you're not just only talking about housing. You've also got data, warehouses, etc. You've got companies like, you know, YTL Power as well. It was exploring the whole, uh, they have this joint venture in NVIDIA. And that's quite an interesting st- growth story for the Johor region. And you have people like ByteDance in Johor. You have uh, other facilities, other companies that build processing centres as well. All right. I guess it's gonna. We're gonna see whether 2024 is the year for Johor. Uh, 9:47 a.m. We're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back with a look at more stories from 2023. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. 
9.48 a.m. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus on the Morning Run, our weekly recap show of stories that have captivated our attention for the past week and on today's edition for the past year, really. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Anwar Mahbob. We are going to turn away from earlier we discussed uh, finance uh, and banking and also the property sector. We're going to take a look at some of the political and institutional winners and losers uh, that we've seen this year. Starting with, let's do the, the bright side, the good side first, right? It's what what some of the winners are when we take a look at institutional reforms that we've seen. Uh, there have been a couple of really big, uh, I guess, uh, game-changing ones. Yeah. First off, of course, we had the abolishing of the mandatory death sentence. Uh, this has been quite controversial, seen as a a legacy of our colonial past and doesn't juxtapose with the current state of what people find as the true meaning of justice, right? Uh, does it serve its purpose? Many people argue no. So uh, what has happened is that that has actually a total of 12 crimes which carried the mandatory death penalty were repealed on June 16, um, which is good news. And the reason given for that is that death is irreversible and no evidence points that sentencing someone will deter others from committing such a crime. I think that's such a relevant argument, especially when we talk about these drug offences, right? Where mm. you have a, the death penalty for something as uh, something like possession. It, it just didn't seem proportionate to, to the crime that was supposedly being committed. And I think the abolition of the mandatory death penalty is the first step in what hopefully will one day be the abolition of the death penalty overall, because I think that's still a fight uh, that is going to continue because we do have the death penalty on the books still, just that now it's more of a discretion option. Yeah, you got good point, Shazana, because now with the, the changes, the judge has discretion to uh, give their, his his or her own judgment that she thinks fair. But then again, it gives us, it creates a better compassionate society that every life matters. And, you know, because you don't want to also convict a wrong person and send them to the gallows, which is very risky. I think the point is also that rehabilitation is something that should be afforded to everyone, right? You might have made a mistake and it is a grave one, not to say it's not a grave one. But the path to redemption is still exists. Now, another good news uh, in terms of the legislative reform is the decriminalization of the Suicide Act, right? I think this is a, a very significant one because it, it used to carry a punishment of imprisonment of up to one year with a fine or both. And this I didn't understand because it... it failed on so many levels. One, if you were actually, you notice somebody is not in a good position and could be tempted to unfortunately try to end their own life, you might not actually even report it because if you did, you would actually put that person in jeopardy for jail time when what he needs is actually help, medical help sometimes. Exactly. And the, decriminali the decriminalization of suicide was gazetted finally this year. Uh, so hopefully we will see uh, in parallel more action um, to help Malaysian society with mental health issues. Because now the new section of the law actually will provide uh, crisis intervention officers to actually help those that really need some help in the longer term. And, you know, we've got, uh, I mean, mental health is very important. I think everyone should address mental health. You know, you've got state hospitals that provide therapy as well, as well as private. We have some companies also in Maybank, for instance, you know, my old company, they provide that service uh, as the benefit to the staff. 
that therapy is included in your health benefits. All right. And also looking at, I think, just maybe some other honourable mentions in terms of the winners in political and institutional reforms. We did see the enactment of the Fiscal Responsibility Act finally this year, which will hopefully uh, help put our governance of the country's uh, funds in, in better position. Uh, we also had the laws strengthening the role of Suhakam, our Human Rights uh, Commission. Um, so those are all positive developments that we've seen. Hopefully, it'll continue into the new year. But in terms of... Uh, Less positive developments, I think. And we've got one clear loser, right, when it comes to uh, political and institutional reforms. Yeah, and that is the the right of children born to Malaysian mothers overseas. Currently, they are not given the same citizenship rights. As I say, fathers, uh, let's say Malaysian fathers whose children are born overseas. And I don't understand, why is there a discrimination? What's the difference? And this is frustrating because the cabinet in principle had already said back in February this year that they were going to change the law to give, to allow mothers to confer citizenship to children born overseas. But that has not happened yet because it's being tied up now with further amendments to the federal constitution that will affect uh, the status of uh, other groups in yeah. Malaysia and, and create a, a group that's more vulnerable to being stateless. So these are proposed amendments to Schedule 2, right, of the federal constitution. Other than that, the other thing that worries me is that if these proposed amendments, which are supposed to go ahead, we might actually create a large pool of stateless children because under one such amendment, abandoned babies and children will no longer be entitled to automatic citizenship, granting them statelessness. And we know, actually, we take for granted our rights as a Malaysian. But if you don't have an IC, you don't have Malaysian status, you cannot have access to public health care, no access to education either. Your life becomes so much more difficult and this is happening to children. Uh, so again, I really don't see why there needs to, to wait in terms of allowing mothers to confer citizenship to kids born overseas and hopefully we'll see uh, more positive progress on this, definitive progress uh, in 2024. We've got a couple of minutes left on the clock. Uh, let's turn our attention, let's end the conversation with a look at the arts, culture and entertainment sector, which I think has been very colourful this year. Uh, we definitely have some clear winners. Uh, Malaysia uh, celebrated its first Oscar win in the form of Best Actress for Michelle Yeoh. Uh, I think that was a key highlight. We also saw Blackpink getting honorary MB from King Charles at Buckingham Palace for bringing the message of environmental sustainability to a global audience as ambassador for the UK's presidency of COP26 and latest advocates for the UN's sustainable development goals. Yeah, but I want to go back to Michelle Yeoh. Firstly, to congratulate her on her recent marriage because she just got married in Pankwa Laut with her family. Uh, kudos <laughs> to her. We're really proud that she's a Malaysian and she's flying the Malaysian flag uh, everywhere. I mean, it's Oscar. Wow, do we ever think a Malaysian and a woman would be the first. Yeah. I'd and she gave a rather strong speech at the Oscars. So um, it's it's exciting news. I look forward to also following the rest of her career. Um, I'm sure there'll be many, 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 many good movies to follow suit. I think another uh, winner, I'd just like to say that Malaysian Coldplay fans were winners this year because they managed to attend a 
fantastic concert uh, at Bukit Jalil Stadium. Uh, despite a lot of uh, back and forth uh, in, in, I guess, the broader public discussion ahead of that. Um, I would also like to say that uh, Singapore concert fans are probably winners as well because mm. there were announcements of so many big concerts in Singapore in the coming year. Six dates for Taylor Swift, six dates for Coldplay um, and just continued uh, action on that front. But the loser, I think it's the Malaysian book and literary scene. Book banning still happening, unfortunately. Book banning, book seizures, uh, just a lot of discussions that you didn't think would need to happen in this year, I suppose. Uh, but uh, it is 9.56am. That's all the time we have for WTF of 2023. Thanks so much for staying tuned and we hope you'll continue to tune in uh, to the show in 2024. Yes, wishing everybody who's listening a very good 2024. Stay safe and we'll speak to you very soon on, on Tuesday, That's 2nd right. of January. We'll be here. <laughs> All right, coming up is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.